0: Thank you. talk. I'm talking. Okay. Hey, everybody. It is Crosstown Conversations. This is Jean Nathan. And, you know, I have some incredible hotshots from around the country on the show with us this morning. I love to bring in the experts, you know, and, and wherever they are. Um, we we bring them in. These guys are going to be a part of a summit, the creative industry summit that we're doing on Monday at the Chicory. And that is an event space on Fulton Street, just off um, Poitras next to the Harris Hotel there. And um, I'm really excited about what they're going to talk about because these guys are kicking behind. They are really making things happen in the creative world. And um, we, we've got some ideas that we can glean from them. So this morning, our first guest is Jonathan Gluss. He is the president and CEO of Houston Arts Alliance. So he's bringing some of that Houston knowledge and experience uh, to us today, and his own as well, in a couple of other parts of the country. Jonathan, are you there?
1: I am. Good morning, Jean. Thanks for having me.
0: Good morning, and thank you so much for making yourself available. Um, I... Um, we here in in New Orleans brag about being one of the cultural meccas of the world, and we really are in the sense that um, things are born here, they are nurtured here, but often they have to go someplace else to grow because we, we don't yet still, as much as a lot of us have been working on it over the past few decades, really, um, have enough investment and support for the creative sector. So we're still working at it and looking for ways to do it better. And I'm really interested in, in what you've been up to in Houston because you're an energy city like us. So I right. know that your focus, the focus of your economic development is really on Um, your petrochemical industry, but uh, tell me about how you view and how the city views the possibilities that come from your creatives and and how you're trying to help them grow.
1: Sure. Well, you know, firstly, I have to agree. It's so interesting. I'm looking forward to being with you on Monday because um, while doing this study, we've actually spent um, a lot of time benchmarking the sector uh, in Houston against comparable cities across the country. We do not benchmark against New York because New York is New York, but we do benchmark against Dallas, Chicago, uh, Los Angeles, um, Miami, and New Orleans. Um, and, you know, We would agree that New Orleans and Houston are are at once extremely similar cities, but also the opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, New Orleans is a city that is, from the outside looking in, uh, creativity is at the soul of that city. Um, the brand is strong, that it is, in fact, a city that, you know, culinary is tremendous, uh, the informal arts, the, the folk and traditional arts, obviously music. Um, so you have a very strong brand in that. Houston's brand is a global business city, right. solid, right. nuts and bolts business city. Our quality of life component is arts and culture. So when we started down this road about seven years ago, um, look at the looking at the creative economy here, really what we wanted to do is we wanted to make a case to our business leadership and our economic development leadership that in fact we do have um, tremendous nonprofit arts and culture resources that help to attract <coughs> business and to retain workforce. But we had this whole whole creative um, sector that wasn't being recognized, wasn't being measured, um, and frankly wasn't really being um, invested in. So we wanted to start to expand the conversation within the business community, beyond just the nonprofits into what does this whole high pi- creative pipeline look like in this city? Where can we leverage it better? And um, where are our existing strengths? And part of our argument was because we are the energy capital, it goes up and down. So we've been very focused on a city as diversifying the economy. We have a huge medical center here, as you do in New Orleans. Um, But other cities have been far ahead of us in recognizing the power of Creative
0: industries. And the irony. Where we we started. Yeah, and the irony, Jonathan, is that some of those cities are not nearly as creative as our region. And I have to say, um, my husband jokes that New Orleans is a suburb of Houston. I can hear people in my audience going, ah! (laughs) Of course not. But there's a close relationship between our cities because a lot of our people go, go back and forth between the cities and, and so there's a huge influence and needless to say, a lot of our Katrina, um, evacuees are, are, have, have started new lives in Houston. So you do have, um, you know, uh, historically, even without the influence from New Orleans, but with it, um, a, a very strong uh, creative life. And so, yeah. when you go and you go and you look at a, a place like, um, I don't know, I think Denver is one of the cities that's really chasing uh-huh. the industry. Phoenix, Minneapolis, um, mm-hmm. lots of places around the country that don't have nearly the creative assets, just the people that that mm-hmm. make the the art and, and the, or the music and the architecture and the design and all of the different industries, they, they're out there chasing it. And I keep warning people in New Orleans, man, if we don't, you know, really uh, bite down on this, um, we're going to find ourselves left behind again, as we were yeah. in the beginning of the century, when a lot of our music people, whether, whether it was Louis Armstrong or um, later, uh, much later on, you get, you know, Winton and Harry and all those folks leave town. So, uh, we have to stop that, that kind of, um, we, we, we have to make it easier for people who have talent to, to do it in our town. So, okay, go. So, so when you've just, when you kind of double down on this, then, then what? How did you figure out? What, what, what can you do to try to, um, encourage that investment?
1: Well, so, it, you know, the process has been interesting. We've done three studies now. The first study was really a, it wasn't data driven. The first study was really looking at, um, well, firstly, I should say, we partnered with the University of Houston and the Greater Houston Partnership. Greater Houston Partnership is our economic development um, uh, enterprise. Uh, that does the majority of the recruiting of new businesses to come into Houston. University of Houston, um, which is over 40,000 people in student size at this point, has strong um, arts and creative industry programming, or I'm sorry, um, um, academic programs. Uh They were very interested in where where the possibilities lie within Houston to keep their graduates here because they have been bleeding uh, industrial designers, architects, um, music graduates, et cetera, um, because those individuals don't feel like they are uh, valued here in the same way that they may be valued going just up the road to Austin, let alone to the Bay Area, to Chicago, etc. So, we had different interests um, working together. Um, we also, this first study was really just a snapshot, and what we found um, was that the music industry here, which is huge, you know, there's, if nothing else, the hip hop industry here is gargantuous and under recognized um, here. It's recognized more outside of the city.
0: Wow, yeah, um, I, I have to say, I, I wasn't aware that it was a big uh, thing. Huge. Huge.
1: Mm. Um, and then we found – so jump. So if we jump to the second study, that was really where we started measuring things. And the, that was fascinating because that first study showed – the first data study showed that the overall creative industry here generates $22 billion in economic activity and has – um, at that time, more than 150,000 people employed. And the salaries were comparable with other professional salaries. That was important to us because Houston is very proud of having one of the largest medical centers on the planet. That medical center employs 100,000 people. So we were 150% of the size of the medical center. Did so did you say
0: 100 or 150?
1: Uh, the medical center employs 100,000. Okay. Creative sector, 150,000. Right. So we could actually go to our policymakers and our business leaders and say, look, we have, without even trying, we have this scale in this city. We need to leverage it better so that we can actually grow it to continue to diversify our economy.
0: That's just so fascinating because you know we did something similar here under when Mitch Landrieu was lieutenant governor back um, on the cusp of Katrina and mm-hmm. uh, and and going forward he he commissioned a similar study <clears throat> and again we found out that the creative industry sector was the second highest source of jobs statewide um, after the medical industry. So, uh, ahead of petrochemical, um, uh, ahead of most sectors. And, um, <clears throat> I don't think, however, that, well, for one thing, unfortunately, that study got released on August 25th with Katrina barreling down on the oh. 29th. So uh-huh. that, that had some effect. But generally speaking, we haven't been able to use those metrics as effectively as, um, I, I would have thought by now we, we could have.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's one of the real challenges with those of us who are doing this work is um, connecting the dots um, within the. From from my perspective, the the dots need to be connected between academia, uh, economic development, um, small business development in particular. <clears throat> excuse me, and then the working professionals. So that we really are creating, recognizing, and explaining this pipeline that must exist in a major creative city. LA was really smart about doing this about 15 years ago when they started doing these studies. And the findings were extraordinary of where the creative talent really was in that city. It, aside from the entertainment industry, you know what, one of the biggest areas? Toy manufacturing. Well, who would have thought? Really? Yes.
0: Our it's biggest in L.A.
1: Emplo- pardon me. In L.A. In L.A.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Who would have known? Yeah. But since they, after they found out that fact, they've really, really built on that business there. Here in Houston, we found out that our business, our business, I'm sorry, our biggest or largest employment sector within the creative economy. Is photography.
0: Ah, right, interesting. You know, That's probably yeah. one of the biggest in our city too. I'm not, <clears throat> you know, we do a we do a snapshot every year too now, and um, I honestly don't know whether photography is that big, but I bet it is because um, sort of similar issues with all the offshore there's a that, exactly. that 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 supports the creatives and then they can do, go and do the other kind of things that they do um with the support of the income that they get from doing that kind of photography
1: exactly and that's the other thing that we've really found out doing these studies is we can retain these so great examples is these photographers we can the the energy sector gives them a steady income however We've built an, a um, we've built private a private collector base around photography here that's extraordinary. We have PhotoFest, which is one of the largest biennial biennial photo competitions in the world, and we have major collections in our universe. Or excuse me, in our museums now and dealers who just specialize in photography. So these photographers can earn their basic bread and butter inside the energy sector, but they can still live here and have great um, uh, resources for their personal creative work. And those right. are the type of things that we're really trying to make connections among.
0: And, and, and let me say, uh, let me go back to you uh, saying that you've been encouraging the private collector base. Um, that's actually something that um, I personally have been very focused on when we First founded the Contemporary Arts Center, my husband and I, and a group of... Um artists and art supporters back in about 1975. Um, we did that with the expectation that if we presented the work of a living artists in the community on the walls of a building that was loaned to us by um, Sidney Bestoff, who owned a drugstore chain, that we would uh, encourage the collection of the work. And that really happened. And lately I've been doing tours that are based on the idea of showing people the homes of collectors and, and trying to help people understand that you don't have to be a hedge fund millionaire in New York to buy <laughs> art. You know, there's a lot of affordable and really excellent art being made mm-hmm. right in your own community. So how have you done that? How have you uh, promoted the, the collections?
1: Um, well, we're lucky in that there there is um, already um, a, a robust um, conversation that happens among collectors and two young collectors coming out of our museums so they all have young collector groups they all have um trips for uh collector bases um we have a large gallery community here um that works co- very closely together they have ongoing lectures etc cetera, etc cetera, and we now have the art fairs here and that has really elevated the visibility of access uh, to the work of artists,
0: right? Art fairs are another really um, incredible vehicle. We we don't have an art fair right now. We have our Prospect, which I'm sure you've been to or heard of. Uh, Absolutely. That, yeah, that that brings in art both from the locality and also um, from around the world, and and that brings collectors into the city. And I'm sh- and I know the galleries do well during that. But um, we we should really we talked about, but we haven't gotten an art fair off the ground, but I agree that's important. Going back to your study, so you had mentioned the the first one, the snapshot, and then the the one that you did, your first one measuring, doing the metrics. What came after that?
1: So we did um, an update um, of the First data-driven one, and that one was produced in 2014. Actually, it was produced in 15 using uh, 2014. So recognizing that that was, um, excuse me, riding the crest of a real upswing in the the local economy. But what was fascinating with this, and, and frankly a little disheartening. Is the overall um, size of activity um, shot up in three years from 22 billion dollars to 29 billion dollars? So that was a big step up. However, the amount of um, creative indus- creative activity produced locally was static, and the imported went up by 50 percent.
0: So, why did that happen? Do you well, have any idea yeah there's 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 a couple different
1: um, reasons. One is we went through a huge building boom, and during that time, <clears throat> excuse me, things were happening so quickly, a lot of um, design consulting, furniture manufacturing. Um, <clears throat> architectural services, engineering services to support the architecture. A lot of that kind of work was being imported, and we define imported fifty miles away or, or more. So really, just outside of the ten county footprint. So it may be importing from um, Austin, but nonetheless, what we were not doing was um, in. We did not have the 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 architecture, boutique architecture firms growing at the, at the pace that um, we would have liked them to have been doing during this upsurge. Um, so now what we are really focused on um, working with Greater Houston Partnership and University of Houston is how do we, during the next upswing, how do we make sure that we're investing in these small businesses so they actually are here um, to serve uh, the sector?
0: Right. Interesting. So let's go. Fo- let's fast forward a little bit and uh, and understand um, w- what's next. What? What? Where do you see your uh, main focus and your strategic initiatives going forward?
1: There's a couple different areas. First is we really need to. A lot of it is communication within um, within the community. We need to really emphasize the opportunities for investing in creative startups. Austin has done a tremendous job just through business leadership in changing the conversation about the importance of this. Secondly, our economic development leadership, when they are out recruiting businesses. We need to be helping them identify creative businesses to bring back to this city or to attract to this city. We have had an out-migration of advertising firms out of Houston and into cities like Dallas. So Dallas is much stronger in advertising than here. Uh, so we need to look at that. Third, and you and I have talked about this before, we don't have enough tax incentives in place to attract some of this business, most specifically film television. So we need to address it on a policy perspective as well.
0: Yeah, and here we're just fighting to retain our credits um, in the face of these uh, we have such a huge deficit in our budget left over from our prior governor that um, they've been cutting everything. I I tried to read the news. Yesterday was the end of our special session to see how the film credit came out. Maybe somebody who's listening can call in um, because I I, I didn't find any reference to it online. I tried to, to see how it came out, and I didn't. Um, it was too late at night when I was doing this to call anybody. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, we have to fight to hold on to those credits because, you know, everybody is kind of a little bit short-sighted about thinking, well, how much money are we spending and um, are we losing? And the truth is if, if you didn't have those incentives, you, there wouldn't be any money to lose because they just wouldn't be here.
1: Well, that is exa- That is exactly right. And we are playing within our state alone. we We are – uh, in friendly competition with um, large Texas cities, Dallas and San Antonio, both, and Austin, all three of those cities um, have local incentives um, as well as any kind of tax, uh, state level incentives that exist. We have not gone down that road, so we're not only are we losing out to um, Louisiana and New Mexico, we're now losing losing out to cities uh, here in Texas. So I, that I, has become a real critical priority for us.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised to hear, um, and, and I, I, I probably would not be surprised if I was more informed, and I'm not that informed on. Um, what's going on in the different cities in Texas. But I'm I'm a little bit surprised to hear you say that you were losing, for example, advertising industry to Dallas and um, that they're doing better with their credits. What is that all about? Is that just, again, a sort of over-focus on the petrochemical Um, in in Houston? How how do you account for Dallas having an easier time um, pulling in the ad firms and, and getting incentives in place for TV and film?
1: Well, I think there's two reasons. One is we we are uh, a victim of our own success. Um, you know, by and large, this is a, this is a, an, a, an extraordinarily prosperous city because of the energy sector. We do have our ups and downs, but by and large, that has been our core work for the life of this city. Um, so it is unlike other other cities and other parts of the country that are have had to face reinventing themselves where creative economy stepped in like new england like now detroit certainly chicago in a lesser way um... we have not had to face economic decline we have just been able to gradually diversify the choice on the part of business and policy makers years ago was to focus on medicine so It's educating our leadership that this is yet an extension that we need to focus on. I think cities like Dallas have done that better because um, they have always been in the business of diversifying. They don't have nearly the stake in the energy sector that we do.
0: Right. Now – You made the statement just a minute ago that it's an extraordinarily prosperous city, Um, and and that is not as true for us. We're actually one of the poorest cities in the country uh, in terms of the high rate of poverty that we have, and and despite the fact that we have petrochemical. Actually, a lot of our petrochemical has, um, of course, centralized into Houston, as you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, that's a challenge for us. Philanthropically, it is much harder for us to find people who have the capacity to truly invest in the arts. And and it is – philanthropy is so important. You can write grants all day long, but foundations are only going to really give so much. Um, and it is people who have a, you know, a commitment to the arts in their heart and soul who want to continue to support um, the arts that are, are pretty critical to growing a, a cultural economy. Tell me about how – Um, you and others have worked with your philanthropic community um, in in getting them to buy into this concept of the creative economy. Because that's not a natural. It's natural for them to support, let's say, museums and symphonies and ballets. That's that's true here. Um, Mm -hmm. But getting them to sort of get into that broader idea of, helping the creatives who are producing and dealing with the sort of the commerce or the production side of, of the art world. Um, have, have you been successful in, in, in getting support and understanding from um, your philanthropic community too? Uh,
1: that's a really interesting question, and that's uh, that's one of those areas that um, ha- has in fact been a challenge. As you said, we're, we're blessed with Tremendous foundations here, as well as individual patronage that have made our nonprofit sector really vital and healthy. Um, Our biggest success um, has been not with the large foundations. Our biggest success has been um, making the case with individuals who have done well through creative businesses who want to give back. Um, so so their support is not necessarily coming from a large foundation, but families who have chosen to redirect some of their philanthropic giving. And I'll give you an example, and this is where um, I think it has been a benefit for the Arts Alliance to be functioning as the city's local arts agency. Um, A a local family uh, recently gave us a very – very handsome gift um, to create a grants program um, that is um, about creating new partnerships with nonprofits and for profit creative businesses. Um, because they, in fact, see a disconnect between the level of innovation that nonprofits have access to because of technology and the capacity of. Creative businesses, and when I say creative businesses, I'm talking about everything from Nike to um, a record label, and that met with huge success. So we're making incremental steps in that way, but honestly, it's taking a while. I think the biggest thing that we have to really focus on is is really shifting um, local public policy so that we are in fact recognizing that there's a great importance in investing in these creative businesses that you in New Orleans I believe have done a better job of like creative industry zones, um, tax credits for um, creative businesses, that kind of portfolio that other cities have done a very good job with. We are not there yet.
0: Well, you know it's interesting um I think that we have certainly made an effort to um to to reach out and 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 get uh, uh support from them but um honestly um i wouldn't i couldn't say that we've been um wildly successful yet it's 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 still uh it's a big challenge i mean the creative industries and and folks who listen to the show know that this is um it 's almost an obsession of mine, uh, yeah. but internationally, it is such a huge growth industry, huge as too. Donald Trump would say huge none of us can <laughs> say huge now without thinking of him but um it's it 's in Britain, in Europe, in South America, in Australia, um really, mm-hmm. just about everywhere there there is a realization that uh, the creative industries are something that is is very, very much at the heart of the entire internet universe. <clears throat> because the internet demands content. content right. means creativity. right And so we have to it has to be generated and and there is um, plenty of of income to be made from generating whether it's animation, um, games, um, uh, film, videos, uh, music, all of it. all of that is is at the heart. Of the internet universe, that we are, um, we're well past dawn. We're, we're. I don't know. <laughs> it, it's hard to judge uh, history going forward, but we're, we're probably at least mid-morning on um, the cycle of how the internet industries are are developing. So, it's it's prime area for growth, and it has been still so hard for our more traditional economic development uh, and, and, and public and even private sector people to grasp this and, mm-hmm. and such a challenge and that's why I'm so interested to hear, you know, what's happening in other cities and um, I had hoped uh, we were going to join in a fellow from Detroit. We haven't been able to get him on the line yet, so I'm, I'm uh, holding on to you, Jonathan. I hope you don't mind. I hope you have a few no, more minutes No, not at all.
1: I love talking about this.
0: <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> um, and, and again, because you are such a sister city, that's one of the reasons I was so interested in you coming to town for the uh, summit on, on Monday. I think it's going to be really interesting to hear you. And Malcolm White, I don't know, do you know Malcolm White from M- Mississippi? I do not. Well, he's phenomenal. You are going to be blown away by him because there he is in Mississippi, which is without doubt one of the poorest states in the nation and not one that's viewed as progressive. But he has been able to actually get everybody from the governor's level down to small communities to buy into the idea of the creative industries. It's phenomenal. And talk about philanthropic. He has been able to get um, huge. I mean, in the in the in the 20 million dollar numbers um, uh, brought to the table by philanthropists in Mississippi. For for example, the BB B. King Museum and the just now recently opened Grammy Museum, um, and and that's just museums. Of course, that goes back to people understanding very easily about putting their name over. Um, you know, uh, uh, on on the walls of a a museum. But nonetheless, he has uh, really gotten them to understand this notion of creative industry. So it's going to be really interesting for you to meet him, I think, and and talk with him. And Detroit, of course, Detroit's angle is that they have enormous quantities of of vacant property due to the crash of the auto industry there, the very unfortunate fact that so much of it has moved Um, offshore. And and so, um, but they're using their empty space as an asset. So they've been doing a lot of art programming in those vacant buildings in the hopes of really generating a revival of neighborhoods. And it's been a a challenge for them as well to take it from um, that initial use of the space by artists to permanent use because the owners of the property, of course, are looking to Um, sell or lease their properties to the highest bidders. So sometimes the artists come in, they do their stuff, it makes the facility more attractive. And next thing you know, somebody else has come in to benefit from that. And that, by the way, is certainly a a factor um, nationally and internationally. and And it's happening in our town where the artists help gentrify. Well, they don't come in to gentrify, but they help to take a neighborhood that's uh, inexpensive, less, um, income that has declined for one reason or another, um, come into that neighborhood looking for, um, less expensive space to work in and live in. And next thing you know, it has a whole different kind of cachet. And I know this has happened in Houston too, so I know you can relate to this. Um, and then again, you know, then comes the, uh, commercial people and, um, right. next thing you know, the prices are up and the artists are out. So, right. uh, isn't that a, um, a an interesting um, cycle that I want to address? Um, we're going to continue with this, Jonathan, but I'm going to take a caller. Hold on a second. Oh, Hi, Keith. Good morning,
2: Susie. How are you doing? Can your guests hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. well, uh, one point of did he say he was from Austin?
0: He's No, he's in Houston. Well,
2: okay. You ever been in Austin?
0: Yes, I have.
2: No, 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 the guest. Uh oh. Yes. Uh, Okay, well sister Jean, anyway, down in Austin, you familiar with Congress Street, right? Yes. Sixteenth. If you say if you was ever been in New Orleans, you were stand on Canal and Bourbon. But that's yes. the entrance of Bourbon. Now, if I was down on Congress and 16th, that would be the entrance to 16th Street. Now on the right side of Congress, you had a man clothing store at the entrance of 16th Street. But if I'm going toward Link Travel, that one side of the street will be full of art studios. One side Uh of Congress Street will be full of art studios. The first one we'll see, a a Mexican art studio, maybe a Midwest Texas art studio. Then it goes on and on and on until you come to Lake Travis, man. It was cool. Y'all never noticed that downtown Congress in Austin? I don't know if it's still like that, but four years ago, that's the way it was with me. One side of Congress, downtown Central District business area of Austin, one side of the street was dedicated to art studios. So uh, Keith, I don't, know, I don't know if y'all had that experience, but that's the way it was when I was there. But the other side of the street was just just regular business buildings, you know. And but one side of all, downtown right. Congress, well, you know the state yeah. capitol is in Congress, the state capitol. Right. The state capitol is facing Lake Travis, like uh. The Mississippi River will be facing the cemetery, but on the cemetery will be the state capitol in Austin. So, anyway, I'm just saying one side of uh, Congress Street in Austin, one side of that street was just dedicated to all art studios. So, Keith, Keith what was your what was your uh, reaction to that? What did oh, that. Oh, it was good. I had fun because, you know, by being a vacuum, we used to just this ride the, the transit when I go down there. That's all I would look at, the art studio. There was nothing, you know, too much else to do, you know. <laughs> you know, we were we you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, that one side of the street with all the art studio was cool. It was real <laughs> yeah. cool. Thanks for going, man. Someone had books, you know. Hey, Keith. they had these little, uh, hey. paranormal studios that had these little, uh, little voodoo things. And, man, they had the <laughs> stuff from Haiti. And they had the little, uh, uh, little art, little art secretaries, you know. But hey, it was nice. It was real nice.
0: Hey, Keith, have you been down lately to some of the art studios and galleries on St. Claude Avenue in our... No, but let me tell you this. I know what you're talking about. Before the hurricane,
2: in the late 80s, there was a young African-American. He had a beard. He had a, a school right on the car. I think it's a barbershop now. Before you get to Sweet Lorraine... It was a brown wooden building. That building is still there. They had two art schools down there, about eighty eight, going to the early nineties. The guy, one of the teachers, I wonder if heaven that... heaven, he had a beard. Um, so I used to walk to work sometimes. I know the one day I looked at, he had a whole classroom when he came he to the door and he explained to him what it was and everything. I thought it, but I know it's full of art studios now. But sister Jean in the sixties? uh 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 let me see. Uh, in the, Well, this is the, the French Quarter and the Ernest City were full of art studios. They used to have uh, shows used to come on TV and, and on a Saturday morning. Those The French Quarter was full of art studios, but some of these places may have disappeared.
0: Well, listen, I, I want to recommend to you, it sounds like you have a, an interest in this. Um, on the second Saturday of the month, every month, Second Saturday night, if you go down St. Claude Avenue, Uh all the galleries have their openings of their shows. I highly recommend you go check in for those openings because quite frankly, a lot of the people who go to them are kind of just the artists and their friends because the the galleries don't have enough money to market to let everybody know what's going on there. Mm. But if you would go there and bring some of your friends... Um, you, you'd be surprised, uh, to see what's going on. And, and you know something? The art is not even that expensive. And sometimes you can even find something you can afford to buy. So I recommend you do that. Uh, Keith, thanks for calling. I really okay, appreciate you. it. Okay. Thanks. Um. So you know Jonathan this actually brings up another uh, subject altogether right and and this is uh, we were just ta- touching on it when Keith called in um the idea of um of the uh revival of neighborhoods by the artists yeah. and then ultimately the price is then going up, a gentrification pattern, and then next thing you know, the artists are pushed out. In fact, I, we have a population now in our Bywater neighborhood, which is one of the neighborhoods downriver from the French Quarter, where mm-hmm. a recent, uh, I looked into the statistics of, of who's there, and we found out that 45% of the people living in that area now are from someplace else. And I'm going to tell you where one out of three of them wow. is from, Brooklyn where that pattern of gentrification is is just intense. They're now yeah. even building high-rises, and it's become extremely uh, – What is? have you heard about, or, or are you dealing with this kind of a phenomenon, and have you heard about any kind of strategic ideas for how to, uh, first of all, make it possible for some of the previous tenants and owners of property in the area to to – Continue to live there because we worry about losing our whole cultural legacy, and, and, and secondly, um, how to help artists um, kind of uh, um, you know become property owners and and mm-hmm. not get pushed out and, and, and the show before me on the on this uh, station um, a, a woman was talking about uh, buying property. in in areas that are um, starting to be on the upswing and how it's important to get in there early. And and they had a caller who said she was only 23 years old when she bought her first house. I mean, you have to have gumption. Good for her. Really? You have to have, you have to have true gumption to do that. But what, what is Houston doing to address this kind of phenomena, this, this process?
1: Yeah, this is such an important, (coughs) um, this is such an important topic for a couple reasons. You know, I, I go, constantly go back to this notion that if we, if our core work is to ensure that creatives can have, um, can be in our cities and create a life and a career here in the way that they so choose, firstly, creatives, they don't necessarily, today's creatives don't live in this for-profit, non-profit paradigm that that. Government and foundations have created. They go where the work is interesting. So, what we really want to do in Houston is to make sure that um, someone who plays, we have a large classical music uh, community here. So, somebody may um, play in the, uh, the symphony for one of the large institutions, the ballet, for example, but they have the opportunity to teach to do private instruction, to um, work with quartets, etc. So they can have a full breadth of career in the city. So that's, that's really our goal is to make sure that our creatives can, can really cobble together the career that they want in the same way that a city like Los Angeles or Chicago or New York, though that's because of prices, that's weaning. But let's take L.A., for example you know, you can, you can be an independent choreographer in that town and do incredibly well working both for-profit and non-profit because you can move it, work in the music industry. Um, so I'm sorry, the film industry. So that's kind of the that's, – that's our train of thinking with all of this. So one of the reasons why Houston has been able over the years to attract this talent to the city is, as you know, we're large – It's traditionally been affordable. It's low-slung, so there's plenty of space available. Um, Some of our baby boomer and older generations of artists live on literally multi-acre sites within two miles of the high-rises of downtown because they could do that. Now, within the last, I don't know, seven years, if you live in the core city, what we call inside the loop here, um, the prices are not accessible, accessible any longer for a lot of creative people. So we're in that same situation, and um, working in neighborhoods like the East End, uh, in particular and some of the North Side communities, um, there's been a lot of friction, and the largest, most vocal population are the individual artists who are saying exactly that um that we have moved into this neighborhood um not only can the long-time residents not afford it, but we can't either um as you know this is a city without with without comprehensive zoning so things like incentives are slow to come in houston that has always worked that is changing because of this um because of this Change, but I do think there's some really great models out there. South Chicago, uh, the South Side of Chicago, is doing some incredible work, where they're selling, um, as you know, the South Side of Chicago, unbelievable vastness of um, residential properties that had been bur- burned out 30, 40 years ago. They're selling those um, like hotcakes for um, just back taxes, sometimes even alleviating the back taxes artists are the ones who are buying them more than anybody else. Um, The very famous Kerry James Marshall, the the extraordinary visual artist, has a whole compound on the south side that he's been able to cobble uh, together over the last few years because of this. But I also think, Gene, that uh, going back to some earlier comments, the fact that you have all those artists from Brooklyn, Detroit is seeing in a huge influx of artists from Brooklyn. Um, we, New Orleans is, is in a great – we're not seeing those artists come in. We see more artists from the West Coast than from um, the Northeast. Um, you have a great opportunity to um, create a place for them so they actually stay through tax incentives. I think that is the biggest thing
0: so it's is you're saying that <clears throat> and, and i don 't know if I followed the in, 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 entire track of what you were saying about Chicago, but it, it was tax incentives involved there
1: absolutely, absolutely, primarily focused on the south side because there's so much uh, underbuilt property on the south side um, there has been a big emphasis on selling these um, these properties either vacant. Um, i.e. no house
0: oh I see not so much tax incentives but uh, we actually have a similar program here where a lot of the properties that were um, uh, bought by the state after Uh Katrina uh, are being sold um, uh, really below market in that way and also Uh properties that have been abandoned even before Katrina because quite frankly we had I think it was up around 30,000 properties that were um, uh, empty and deteriorating in the city before Katrina, um, they have been uh, uh, dealing with that whole um, uh, tax uh, situation where if somebody hasn't paid their taxes, they basically um, say that, you know, either pay your taxes or you're going to lose your property, and then the property mm-hmm. becomes available to be redeveloped. And it's right. kind of a harsh program, but in fact, what what it has done is bring back a lot of, especially there's little shotguns and double shotguns, and double shotguns is such a, they were talking about this on the show before, that's such a great way to get um, into your own home, because you can fix up both sides and rent out the other side, and that rent is going to help you pay your mortgage, so there's yeah. all kinds of programs. We do yeah. have programs like that, but I, I still feel like we're, we're essentially finding that it's um, it's 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 more benefiting um, uh, people of means, let's say, rather than mm-hmm. the people who are, are either were there before or coming in. But uh, we have a caller. So stand by a second. Let's see. Um, hello. Who's this? Tim?
3: Yes. Good morning. Jane.
0: Good morning. What you got?
3: I really, uh, want to make a comment. Sure. Uh, I applaud you for attempting to <laughs> tackle this beast of a, a problem, but it is such a huge, huge problem. Uh, I'm a creative also, but one who has never uh, quit my day job and will probably never quit my day job because you just can't really think it. Um, and I have an artist, artist friend who say the same thing. They say this it's so saturated with art in, the, in New Orleans, in the, area, in the areas where people want to see it. You can literally do it on a street corner. And so my artist friend says, I'm not going to go out there and sell my work for, for pennies. Hello. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, yeah. I hear you. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Yeah.
3: And and then, uh, and then the flip side of that is, your statistics, statistics are going to be off as far as income and everything because, they do what we call a lot of hustling, which means they get whatever job they can get and it's. Cash the and they don't report it, it. It's it, off
0: it. the books. This is actually a big issue I have with all the data collection that we have done so far in the creative fields because, and I'm sure that, um, Jonathan, you've been dealing with this in Houston as well. Uh, uh, sure. uh, I, I think we're enormously undercounting with, despite the, how high the numbers are um, with with what we can get our hands on in terms of official information, there are a lot of creatives that are are, are buying and selling their work under the table, so to speak, and not necessarily um, accounting for it. And so we have an undercount. But, Tim, let me come back to you for a second and say this. One of the things that's happened down there on St. Claude, and admittedly I think the folks who have opened up galleries there kind of got in uh, really, just before the storm, when those properties were really—I'm not going to say dirt cheap. Nothing's ever dirt cheap, but they were really, really under um, uh, the costs of, say, being in the Julia Street area or or something like that. Um, but you know what those artists did? You, what you what you got is you got these kind of—I don't think I don't know if they would use the word collective, but you've got these groups of artists that came together. And they opened their galleries on a co-op basis where, let's say, the rent of a space is um, probably – but when they did it, it was probably more like $500 a month, and it's probably more like $1,000 a month now. But they pooled their money from each of them, so you're talking about a much more modest investment. Um, and, and they opened those galleries as co-op galleries, and this is actually – a pattern that you see in many cities. This uh, this happened in New York. The whole New York art scene that is now such a big hot thing, that's really came to be in the '60s in the in the Lower East Side, where Tenth um, Street is kind of the famous street where they all got together and they started doing these co-op galleries. The next thing you know, they created, you know, the art center of the entire world. So, I would say to you and your your friend who's making art and others. The, the market is never saturated. It's a matter of getting out there and finding a way to put your work in front of people. And I'm what I'm trying to do. Quite frankly, I've been hearing from Houston because I want to hear these other models. But what we're trying to do is get enough people together to form a kind of coalition of public interest to go after dedicated funding for marketing the arts, because it's one thing to make it, it's another thing to show it, and it's another thing to make sure people know you are showing it. So my focus is on finding marketing funding <clears throat> to to market the kind of things that are happening on, let's say, St. Claude, on Ferret Street Magazine, um, O.C. Haley. O.C. Haley now has two... Actually, three, four, let me think, it could even be five art spaces, and there are still properties available in that area at reasonable uh, prices, and that's coming up as a new art center also, especially of African-American art, but not exclusively. So I would say go after it.
3: Yeah, well, that that is a good idea, and you you speak of the co-op often, and when you spoke of it a couple of weeks ago, I wanted to research that more because it does sound like a good idea. And I'm the same caller who called in before when you were talking about the bywater, and I brought up the fact that uh, I saw this house uh, advertised for $400,000, and I didn't believe it. Well, I checked it out, and you're right. It is true. So they better get on yeah, it and that same house. <laughs>
0: yeah, that same house was probably available for under $40,000. I just heard about a house that was close to my own house in the Treme that I could have bought when we bought my house for about 20000 at the time. I just didn't have enough additional funds to get it. Um, that house is on the market for $400,000. It's on Barrack Street. It is not yeah. on Esplanade. It is not on Orleans. It is on yeah. Barrack Street. So, yeah, you've got to get in there. You've got to make that move. And, and sometimes you can't do it alone. There is a new pattern also where people are looking at, at co-oping not uh, just a, a, a studio or a house or a gallery, but a whole block. And there are blocks in the city that are up for the grabs that are, you know, where there's been property, where there's been demolition, where there's been... Um, things that have been um, uh, deteriorated. And I I think it takes a lot of political will, Tim. I know it does a lot of energy. And uh, I talk like I have it, but um, sometimes I I get pretty exhausted, too. I think I slept 10 hours last night. But um, I'd say go for it. And right now I'd say Central City is the next hot place because there's so much going on on O.C. Haley Boulevard, on Aretha, Castle Haley Boulevard, all power to Aretha, who Really is what turned things around there. So give it a try.
3: Okay, thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Um, well. So, so what about the co-op uh, scene in in Houston? Do you have that there too, Jonathan? We do. We don't have. You
1: know, uh, I'll be honest. Because we don't have quite the circumstances of um, <clears throat> the real decline in the physical uh, infrastructure of the city, the housing and and commercial building infrastructure. Um, of the city that New Orleans went through. What we do have, though, is just an unbelievable boom in um, uh, studio spaces. Uh, we have five cultural districts in this city. And, and uh, when I use the term cultural district um, in the state of Texas, it's actually sanctioned by the state. So there's a lot of cultural gathering spots in this city, but there's five sanction cultural districts. Uh and what's fascinating about this is we have the two big ones, the museum district and the theater district which really is just about uh audiences engaging in arts and culture. But then we have um, Midtown, East End and uh Washington Avenue corridor. Washington Avenue corridor has over the last probably six to seven years, evolved into being, um, if not the largest, um, one of the largest concentration of artist studios in the country. Wow. L.A. still has a wow. fairly large concentration.
0: Interesting. Studios or galleries or both? Studios. Wow. How interesting. How that and happen, and, and did the, were there any incentives or, or, or helps to them or for that to happen, or did they just kind of come in at the right time? They came
1: in at the right time, and I'll tell you, it started not by artists. It started by the right mix of developers who saw an opportunity, and they knew because this is so close to downtown, they knew if they didn't jump on this property then that now they couldn't do it. They didn't jump on it just at that time. The numbers wouldn't work. And they were very – they're developers. They have properties where they actually make considerable amounts of, of money from them. Their mission with this studio area is to make sure that they are affordable. So it's completely break-even. But there's probably at this point four, over 400 studios in an area of about eight blocks.
0: How many? Say that again. Over 400. Wow, that's amazing. I want to talk to some of those developers, Jonathan. Uh, They sound like they had their heart in the right place. I I, I can't believe that they were just breaking even. They had to be making some money or they wouldn't be doing it. But I'm sure that it sounds, if they really uh, targeted doing it on an affordable basis, um, that's a win-win that's that's great for the arts uh, that's great for the neighborhoods that's great for them so exactly that's fascinating exactly. that's fascinating you know I was so panicky because one of my callers didn't actually two of the callers didn't work out today which is very unusual um, that i have a whole hour with somebody and um, I'm so glad we did because this has been so elucidating to ha- be able to talk more in depth with you for a longer period of time and i apologize for taking up your time and I So appreciative of you doing it. And I'm really looking forward to Monday. So let let me just um, let everybody know that one of the reasons you're on the show today is that we have what we call the Creative Industries Summit. And it's happening. It used to be called Creative Industries Day. And the idea of village people who sponsor the whole New Orleans Entrepreneur Week changed the name. I'm fine. I'll go with Summit. And um, it's going to take place at that event space called the Chicory. It's right there on Fulton Street, just off um, Poitras Street, where the holiday um, decorations usually are, folks. So it's easy to find. You can park at at Harris. You can park all over Come for 1 o'clock and hear not only Jonathan, but also folks from Detroit, from Mississippi, from around the country, and, and participate. Um, as an audience member, we're going to be asking you for uh, what are the kinds of things that you need to, to jump into the art world and do what you can do. Jonathan, thank you so, so much. You're, oh, my pleasure, you're a, Jean. You're a thank treat you. for having being uh, stuck with me for the whole hour, and uh, look forward to seeing you very soon. Thanks so much. Thank you, everybody. This has been Crosstown Conversations, and um, I hope you got some ideas for what you can do with your creative talents from this show. That's one of my goals every day. Take care. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.